This is the Getsy Health Podcast with Janique and Tristan Roney. Hi guys, welcome back to the Getsy Health Podcast. Welcome to another episode, everybody. We have a really fun guest today, Nicolette Richer, and she is going to really help you recognize the benefits of just changing the way that you approach food, changing how you relate to your own health and how you address mm-hmm. your health. And, and really just so much more. She is doing so much really cool stuff in the space of getting people back to real food. And we're going to take some time to kind of get to know her and find out more about what she's doing. Exactly. So Nicolette, tell us a little bit more about yourself and uh, what you guys do. Sure. So um, sit tight because this might take a little while. Um, <laughs> I started off uh, 12 years ago uh, learning about a specific metabolic nutritional therapy that reverses all types of disease, including cancer. And I can tell you a little bit more about how I learned that and came across that um, after. So then I flew to San Diego, got trained in this because the science behind it was so, um, it it is so in-depth and provoking that I want to know as much of it as as I could. And then I came back and I tested it on 19 friends and family members Mm -hmm. and they started getting incredible results. And so then I started consulting and teaching. So that was the birth of Richer Health Consulting, which my last name is actually Riche, but it's it's phonetically um, spelled and pronounced Richer. And so it was a play on words um, with our company name, Richer Health. So I started doing that and really just consulting um, as a you know part-time thing while I was still working, doing environmental work in government. And then six years in, our clients, my clients said, you know, well, we can't eat out anywhere because we can't get the quality of food that, you know, I was teaching. And mm-hmm. so that's when I launched our first restaurant called The Green Mustache in Canada. Mm-hmm. And cool. it's, uh, <laughs> I love the name. And it serves 100% organic, plant-based, whole foods that are completely unrefined. And so we don't use any additional oils. We don't use any sodium, um, like, you know, restaurants, you know, chefs normally do. Mm-hmm. Everything, we don't use any refined sugar. Everything comes from either the dates or or the whole foods and fruits and, and so on. And so we started that restaurant and then it just took off. So... We now have five locations (laughs) and we are, yeah. And it's been awesome because we serve right now about 150,000 customers a year. And now we're opening up 10 in New York city um, Mm -hmm. over this next year onwards. And so we have the restaurants and then two years ago we launched our, our nutrition and detox wellness center. And that's where guests come from all over the world and come to our center. And they also can then do the therapy and be active in learning about it. So we have that. And then our last business is our charity. So that is a nonprofit organization and that's where we teach youth and physicians and work with indigenous communities to help remember that food is medicine and Mm -hmm. that we need to return to real whole foods if we want to heal the epidemic of chronic disease and cancer that's in our society. Right. I love that. I want to rewind way back to the beginning when you said you found this metabolic approach. Um, Why were you searching? What was happening in your life? And let's talk about what that is exactly, because I am, I'm so fascinated. I'm really intrigued. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it's interesting because I wasn't searching, actually. What happened is I was, you know, pretty healthy because I had grown up. I was born in Africa in this small town called Chiritsulu. It's not even a town. It's like a village, and you would never even be able to find it on a map um, because it's just a dirt road that leads to, leads to a bunch of mud huts in Malawi. Mm-hmm. And that's where my great great grandmother lived, and you know, and where my mother was born, and where I left when I was four years old to come to Canada. And our family there, they all eat this way. So when my mom moved to Canada, she planted a garden, and she always had whole foods on the table. And so I really knew that. So I was pretty healthy, mm-hmm. um, aside from you know the excessive drinking when you're in your twenties and eating garbage food. (laughs) But I think my mom and my, and my history of Africa had bought me about, you know, 20 good years of health. So I was, you know, pretty good at that time. Mm -hmm. But what happened is I was surrounded by lots of people who had disease and my friend's dad was diagnosed with stage four cancer and he was given about three months to live. So he would come over to our house often to visit us and he'd always bring his own food Mm -hmm. and we'd always, you know, be quite curious about it, but we never questioned it. And it wasn't until he fully healed from his cancer and reversed his cancer and was cancer free without doing chemo surgery or radiation that I started to get curious. Yeah, it's super amazing because, yeah, yeah, I was in my early 20s and I really knew nothing and I didn't even question the medical system. I kind of thought like, if you get sick... You go to the doctors, mm-hmm. you get the medication, totally. you do the surgery, and you then you hope for the best. Right. I hadn't yeah. really at that point been in, and kind of questioning. I mean, I had written a paper in university about the fact that soil that was depleted in nutrients would could potentially, there could be a causal factor between uh, disease and soil that was depleted in nutrients. So I had, you know, was sort of playing in that area. Mm-hmm, so right. when he was diagnosed and he did this therapy and he healed, that's of course when I got curious. And then another friend, her mom was diagnosed for the second time with um, metastasized cancer mm-hmm. and she didn't have much time. And so that's when I had to pick up the phone and call Bill and say, what was that crazy diet that you did? <laughs> right. And then that's how I got into it. And what was it, if you don't mind me asking, can I just like jump to the punchline? Oh, yeah, 100%. Um, it's called the Gerson therapy. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't familiar know if you've heard that. of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. We've heard yeah, a so, lot about that. Okay. So that's yeah, what Yeah, so the Gerson therapy. Yeah. So he, and it's been around since, um, I mean, for over 100 years now. And Dr. Max Gerson, he was a German Jewish doctor who, again, he himself stumbled across diet as a treatment for chronic disease and originally for his migraines. But Mm -hmm. then he ended up treating lots of people who had end stage cancer, um, literally like they were on death's door, some of them in a coma. And and, so I learned, I got to learn about the science behind the Gerson therapy I got to learn about you know how to work with clients who are doing it and to teach them how to do it and I got to become very good friends with the Gerson family as well and so through that I got to learn even more that's so cool so that was the training that you did was in the Gerson therapy is that correct yeah that was the start of learning about yeah food as medicine and then since then I've done you know several other trainings because I actually would try to it was such a shock to my system to learn that you could reverse disease mm-hmm. that I almost set out to prove that that wasn't true. So <laughs> yeah. I dove deep into the research, started doing my master's. I did my PhD. I'm doing my PhD right now um, on the topic. And it was really to, because all of a sudden, once I started looking at the research, there was so much evidence, like 
published medical journals for hundreds of years that have said, oh yeah, by the way, food is medicine. Totally. And I think that's one of the hardest things of our time is, um, I say this all the time, we're so brainwashed in this culture of like disease just happens to you. And I'm like, no, 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 you create it. Like you, you've, it's been coming to you for years because you have been so depleted and so stressed and so inflamed and so acidic. And, you know, it, it doesn't just happen to you because you picked a bad card, you know, and. Well, and for a lot of us, our parents were the same way, right? They Mm -hmm. didn't have the best nutrition and then they passed on these suboptimal genes to us. And nowadays even grandparents at this point. So we've got multiple generations of, of depleted bad genetic expression, basically, because as you, as you probably know, what you eat determines what genes are expressed and it's, it's epigenetics, right? Like you can turn genes on and off according to what you're eating. And so, Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. And so, and this is just stuff that doctors don't even question and they don't even know it's almost like something they skim over in medical school but don't pay much attention to it as they're you know and it's not their fault I mean to graduate you have to know all the different diseases and how to treat them with drugs and surgery so at the end of the day you know that's what their goal is is to graduate so they can start practicing medicine so Mm -hmm. if they do hear about epigenetics if they do hear that you can turn off and on genes with food well that's not part of the medical curriculum and it's not part of their their exams that they have to pass so why would they spend much time looking into that exactly exactly i mean we could do an entire podcast episode on like the the hazing of medical school right mm-hmm. and like oh, yeah. we we interviewed what was that last doctor that we interviewed where he said the brainwashing of medical school or mm-hmm. he, he used some term you know he's he's much more open minded now and i and again i don't want to like bash doctors because they hold a very important place in society but so i important. also i try to remind people i'm like this hero worshiping of the medical industry like we forget that it's a business and we, mm-hmm. and like, it's okay for us to take back our power and recognize that nutrition is a medicine, you know, like we can heal yeah. ourselves through nutrition. Yeah. We, we forget that medicine is a very narrow range of the full realm of possibilities for us. And, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. food is such a, a broader part of that range. And that's why it's awesome that there are these things out there like the Gerson therapy that help people come back to that. And while it's kind of a shame that it takes serious disease for people to kind of realize that and go there, that, I mean, that's what it was for us, right? Mm-hmm. It was stage four cancer, mm-hmm. the same thing, yeah. but, uh, yeah. but, but it, at least it gets us there. And so, so you were, you were actually doing this therapy for people. Were you running a clinic or was it a consultation practice? It was really just consulting with individuals that would hear that I knew about this and they would know other people that healed uh, from working with me. So, you know, through word of mouth, it spread. And so for the first six years, I didn't even have a website. I, everything, I would get calls from literally all over the world from people saying, hey, I heard you know about the Gerson therapy. Can you teach it to me? And I would. And most of the time for free back then. That's amazing. And so it really started that way. It was quite informal and then, you know, eventually I got an office and then eventually we started the restaurants and more clients started coming through the restaurants. And now, I mean, we have a team of eight corporate staff and we have somebody who manages our wellness center full time. And then we have um, 
you know, our team of staff that run the restaurant. So yeah, it's definitely grown into something. And there's such a demand. It's crazy. There's <laughs> such, there's such a massive movement, I think in our culture right, right now, people are hungry because we recognize what we're doing right now is not sustainable. And exactly. I don't know, Tristan's reading a book right now called, um, what is it called? Uh, health is simple. Disease is complicated. complicated. Yeah. And the first, the first chapter is it talks about the environment of like our planet and how the environment of the planet is, and our, our internal environment as human beings, like they reflect each other. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, of course disease is rampant, right? Because of these ridiculous farming practices where we have like how you did your studies on soil depletion, right? Mm -hmm. We, we have soil that is completely depleted and we are polluting our environment. And so our environment is literally just a representation of what's going on inside. Right. And so, exactly. so, so I, I'm, I'm curious, what is it that you're, cause you've started the, this clinic, you, these restaurants and you're getting your PhD. What's your PhD in? Do you mind me asking? Sure. Yeah. It's an interdisciplinary program. So it allows me to merge different faculties into one dissertation, uh, ultimately. And so the research that I'm doing is working with Indigenous communities to go back to a pre-settler diet, which is actually, a Gerson therapy is considered a pre-settler diet, a pre-colonial diet because there's no refined products in there. There's no flour, there's no oil, there's no salt or sugar or anything in a package or a can or a box. I mean, ultimately, you're just really eating all the beautiful fruits and vegetables and some grains that come from the earth and, you know, a few legumes. Mm-hmm. And so it's working with Indigenous communities where we actually measure their A1C levels. We measure their, um, well, absolutely everything related to type 2 diabetes. We then look at the social determinants of health within the communities that we're working with. So when you change your diet, you're always changing your diet in the context of a community. So what is it about uh, an Indigenous community where are the elements that could support individuals with diabetes in being able to adopt a pre-settler diet once again? So going back literally to their roots, to what they knew for thousands of years, and then what would help them be successful in maintaining that diet and lifestyle that would then reverse their type 2 diabetes. So we're obviously the research by looking at the social determinants of health, we're able to then say, well, when we look at any community, how do we activate those determinants to help more people, not only just reverse type 2 diabetes, but be able to adopt this lifestyle so they can reverse their heart disease and mental health conditions and and obesity and all of the other chronic health conditions that are plaguing, you know, really extensively Indigenous communities and even non-Indigenous communities. Very cool. Um, Now, I hope I understand this correctly, um, and I hope this question comes across correctly in the right context as well. Um, What Mm -hmm. are those factors that you're finding that help these communities become successful in these lifestyle changes? Yeah. So, I mean, I won't know what they are until I actually start rolling out the research. I'm just in the final stages of having to write my comps Mm -hmm. um, and submit my proposal. And then I believe it's going to, it's not, people haven't done this kind of research in well, not through my university, because I'm in a social sciences program, Mm -hmm. where this is very much a hard sciences, Mm -hmm. where, you know, we're looking at measuring um, the health outcomes through diagnostic testing. And Mm -hmm. so now we're merging that with 
um, the within the indigenous communities, which is also very uh, a very delicate relationship because indigenous communities the number one word they hate the most is research because they've mm. been researched mm. through the wazoo oh, literally, and it hasn't yeah. been yeah it hasn't been in their favor. Yeah. Often the outcomes and usually the researchers just leave them hanging and like, thanks wow. for letting us do research on you. We're not even going to give you the results. Right. And they just, you know, produce this research. So that is, um, so with the social determinants, I mean, I can hypothesize what they are mm-hmm. and I have a feeling they're going to be very similar to the, um, the determinants that came through Dan Buettner's work in the Blue Zones um, mm-hmm. research. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with Blue Zones? Yes. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Yes. So, you know, community is obviously going to be part of that. Um, Being able to have a relationship to your food. So knowing where it comes from and Mm -hmm. probably growing it is going to be good. People will have a deeper appreciation for the food that's grown locally. Um, It's going to be movement, but moving in culturally appropriate ways. So obviously, Mm -hmm. you know, that what I expect to come out is that uh, indigenous song and dance and other artistic ways of moving are probably going to be just as important as having community and just as important as the diet itself. Um, Other things are going to be, you know, similar to blue zones is having, you know, those having your tribe, like literally your people, like we use the word in non-indigenous communities in such a way, but I mean, it is 100% legitimate in indigenous communities. They they do have a tribe, but even, not a big tribe, but even the smaller tribes, like who are the five or six people that you can call on at all times while you are making these dietary changes and while you are going to the human reactions and while you are regenerating your body and getting healthy once again. Um, so there's going to be that. Um, and then, of course, everything else is very similar to um, the Blue Zones communities. So is your your point of intervention going to be individuals or is it more of a like a a policy thing you're going to be working on working with more of the community leaders to implement these programs. And that's something when, again, doing indigenous research is, uh, and it's actually called using indigenous methodology, which means I, as a researcher, wouldn't go into the community and say, this is what's going to happen and this is how it's going to be done. And these are going to be the outcomes. Mm-hmm. I would go in and say, Hey, you know, and I know, so I've already been invited into these communities, which is step one. Usually when in doing indigenous methodology, you wouldn't say, hey, I want to do research on you. Mm-hmm. You would get invited into the community because you're recognized as someone who can work with the community. And mm-hmm. that's what's happened. So then they would say, um, and we would establish together that we all acknowledge that there is a diabetes epidemic within the nation. And then we would sit down and say, well, what is the best way to do this research so that we can learn together? Mm-hmm. And also, I would ask them, you know, do you have individuals in your community that would like to become co-researchers with me so they can be anyone? They don't have to, you know, have gone to school. They don't have to be a PhD or a master's or even have graduated from school because they can become co-researchers in lots of different ways so they can help organize how whatever the research is going to look like. So then together we'll establish, well, what is the best way to do that? So they might say, um, you know what, we do everything in circle format. So we want to do it in circle format and we think it's best that um, 
we first work with the elders, which is often the case. Is often you work and meet with the elders first, and then you work out a plan for the research, and then they will convene and then bring other members in who can support. So that's what that's going to look like. Now, the outcome of the research, like I know you mentioned policy. So yes, in my heart, I would love to be able to take the research and go to decision makers and policymakers at the highest level, federal government, provincial government or state government, um, and then say, hey, we need to implement these policies so that we can, you know, continue to reverse type 2 diabetes in Indigenous communities. Now, that would be the colonial way of doing research, but not when working within the community. So what we'll say is, well, how do you want to use the findings? How do you want to use this? Do you want to use it for policy? What level of policy do you want to start? And then we'll support them in being able to take the research to the next level. So so it's almost that it's difficult to answer that question because I, sh- I won't be putting my assumptions Mm-hmm. into the mix without first working with the community. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. That mm-hmm. actually, that sounds really cool. And I imagine a lot of people, even not in indigenous communities, would love to have something similar show up by them where they could have a community of people who are all working together to try to figure out how to get back to more ideal health, like our ancestors enjoyed, right? Mm-hmm. I always joke online on Instagram. I'm like, I want to start my own commune, like my own hippie commune yeah. where we grow our own food and have mm-hmm. our own chickens. And I have several moms that are like, I'm there. I want to do that too. <laughs> like, because oh, we yeah. really like, we, we have all lost our roots. I feel like we just, we are, there's, there's no attachment to our food anymore where it comes from. You know, it's just, mm-hmm. it's prepackaged. You warm it up in a microwave, which radiates you. And then, you know, and then yeah. you're like, great, we're fed, you know, basic yeah. needs met, but there's this massive disconnecting point part of it where it's like, where is that coming from? Like, how are the farming practices? Like, are they ethical? Are they clean? Are they, and, um, it'd be just really cool to start our own commune. Um, so I, I'm, I love that. I'm really, I'm really curious uh, because I know in our culture, when we consult with clients, it, I found the hardest part for me when I do people's testing and I'm like, okay, these are some lifestyle changes you need to make in order to heal. People can't, a lot of people can't commit to it because it's asking too much fundamental, it's asking too many fundamental changes, right? Too many emotional changes because yeah. food is so emotional. Um, with your research and your studies, like, have you come across those roadblocks or ones similar to that where it's like, no, this is too hard? Or has it been different because you've been, or because these these indigenous people are starting from the ground up where they're growing things, they're harvesting? Does that make sense? Oh, 100%. And I know with the work that our charity has done with the Squamish Nation and the Lillooet Nation is that you know, we are starting from scratch um, in some context. However, I know that when we've had gatherings um, and we've brought food and, you know, people are listening to the stories and sharing stories, you know, the elders remember their elders 
going out and harvesting the food. But I mean, the current generation doesn't remember that. They have, fortunately for them, it's included in ceremony where you may go out and harvest food and hunt and gather berries and and to do all of that. But I mean, a lot of Indigenous members are literally buying their food from gas stations because they don't even have grocery stores on their reserves. Wow. Right? So this is all across Canada, it's all across North America, it's all across Australia, and I mean, every continent is faced with exactly the same issues amongst their Indigenous members who've been run off the land. So, but in the same sense, it's what's happening in non-Indigenous communities. Sure, we can shop at grocery stores and we have access to fresh food and vegetables, but a lot of people are not buying the food, the fresh food and vegetables, they're buying the packaged processed Mm -hmm. food, the, you know, ready-made mac and cheese. Mm -hmm. So, It's a good question that you ask because when I work with anybody, whether it's a group, a family, or an individual, I'm everybody's going to arrive at at the decision to want to make the changes or recognize that they need to make the changes, but they're going to arrive at that spot very differently in their own unique way. So some of my clients have to hit rock bottom. Like most of the people, ninety nine percent of the people that are coming to me, they've been given a life sentence, like Mm -hmm. literally days, weeks, months to live. They are in so much pain that they can't work. They can't be contributing to their family. Mm -hmm. Many of them are on the brink of suicide. Many of them are, they they really have hit rock bottom. And I always say to them, rock bottom's not such a bad place because it can act. It is motivating. And it's that springboard. Like once you hit the bottom of anything, you get to jump from that place. And so if you're still free floating, being like, oh, I'm sick, but not quite sick enough to do anything, you know, or if they haven't established, you know, their mindset, like their understanding of why they would want to be healthy, Mm -hmm. why would they want to be disease free? Why would they want to be pain free? You know, so for some people who haven't hit rock bottom yet, but they come to me, I get them to do that work first. So it's actually the same work that let's say Tony Robbins would do if you want to start a business or launch a business or grow a business, right? If anybody can go out and do this, the act of Mm -hmm. launching a business or growing it, but nobody's actually going to do it until they understand why. Is it because they want more money? They want fame and recognition? Is it because they want to buy a bigger house? Because they hate working for somebody else? Once you understand that why, you can take action. So it's exactly the same thing when it comes to somebody making the massive lifestyle change around their diet. It's exactly the same. That makes so much sense. And and that actually, that brings me right back to a question I've been really wanting to ask you about your businesses. You started restaurants and I'm so curious about, I, I know you said that there was a need because people talked about there weren't any healthy restaurants that met their requirements, but but there's no way you just heard them say that and were like, all right, fine, let's just go open up five restaurants all over North America. Side note, Tristan's always wanted to start a restaurant. Kind and of. I'm, and kind I'm of. like, no, I'm like, we're not doing this. Like, no. So that's why he's asking. Here, here, here's the thing, because I, I also, yeah. I see the need, right? In where we yeah. live, there may be two restaurants that we consider semi-acceptable. And even then, we don't know what they're putting into it. And I right. imagine it's not perfect stuff. So the idea of having your kind of restaurant where we know exactly where everything's coming from and we know it's trustworthy and whole is so, so enticing. Yet the idea of running a restaurant is a little bit (laughs) overwhelming. So, so what was your why when you decided, yeah, let's, let's jump in and do this. 
Yeah. So yeah, another great question. So uh, I don't know if anybody's really asked me that in that way before. So with myself is that once I learned about the Gerson therapy and then started doing the research and learning that food was medicine and then going back to school to study more, I just was fired up with this, like, I don't know, like this mission to literally change the world and end human suffering. Like yep. I, every person, I would sit in a cafe and I, every conversation I would hear would be like an 80 year old saying, you know, my daughter was just diagnosed with breast cancer or a 50 year old saying her husband just died of cancer. And that's all I could hear everywhere around me is everybody talking yep. about their illnesses and their disease. And it was, my heart was literally torn in two because here I was sitting with an answer I was like I have the answer for you and I almost wanted to like leave cards on people's windshield like follow them out and be like <laughs> here's a card call me I can help you reverse that disease yep. and and so I was fired up and then at the same time what was happening is I hated my job that I had mm. so much I was working um, in an office and I love working in offices but I was working in an office where you know, I was hired to do sustainability work and I was hired to do environmental policy development and I was working in government and the bureaucracy was so thick. It was strangling me mm-hmm. and the people internally, like they, everybody would have their, you know, the business motto and they say, you know, sustainability in a generation, or they would say, you know, with for 2020, we're going to be sustainable by 2020, <laughs> mm-hmm. but nobody internally was actually living it or practicing it. Yeah. And so there was this, horrific dichotomy and I was just in this terrible place where I literally would look at my pen and imagine shoving it through my eyeball like that's how bad it would get someday and there was no support internally and it was all people had you could see that they had the golden handcuffs on so everybody was paid really well like people thought I was stupid Mm -hmm. when I quit Mm -hmm. my job one day Mm -hmm. and to start the restaurant and so so there was two things happening simultaneously. I hated my job and I was on this massive mission and I knew nothing about running restaurants because I'd never even worked in one before. Right. And, and so, you know, going back to, I, I didn't actually just go out one day and start the restaurant, you know, going back two years earlier, I was pregnant with my third daughter and I would wake up at five in the morning and I would cold press juice the same juice recipes that are part of the Gerson therapy. Mm-hmm. And then I would waddle, literally I would waddle my belly was so big. <laughs> through Whistler and I would go to different restaurants with like four liters of juice. And I would say, Hey, do you want to just try selling this Mm -hmm. and see what your customers say? And sure enough, they'd call me back, you know, halfway through the day and be like, can you get us more of that? And I'd be like, I can't because (laughs) (laughs) you like that 25 pounds of carrots. I have to go now find Mm -hmm. and to do that. So, but I would do this, you know, every two days. And so I, in a way it was my market research. Mm -hmm. So I knew that there was a demand. Mm-hmm. But then as I was consulting with clients, you know, literally they did, they would tell me that all the time. Can you make food for me? Could you deliver food to my home? Can I pay you to become my chef? Mm-hmm. And that like, I hate being in the kitchen. So I'm like, that is the last thing I want to do. Um, I would much prefer to be behind my computer and strategize business growth and development or do environmental policy work. And so I, um, so that's really how it all started. I had all these, you know, factors happening simultaneously. And then I just kind of knew I had to start a cafe. So part of it was I needed out of my job. 
part of it is that I had to fulfill this mission. And then that's how I got the first green mustache going. Your job was like your rock bottom. (laughs) That was your motivator. That was your springboard. But, but I love that. Actually. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say it was actually my rock bottom because I went back to work after my mat leave. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I've shared this with too many people, but I would walk into work in the morning perfectly healthy and fine Mm -hmm. and then I would walk into work and start like my throat would close up with this like Mm -hmm. thick mucus that would not allow Mm -hmm. me to talk and I would start sneezing uncontrollably and it was hilarious like I was like I am so sorry I do not know what happened I even had the HR department look at all the environmental factors within the office like did you guys paint the walls did you change the carpets is somebody using some kind of like crazy chemical that I might be allergic to and so you were literally allergic to your job. I was allergic to my job and to the point where I never go to the doctors, but I had to go to the doctors about this because it was so bad. And the doctor said, I don't know what to do about you. I've never seen anything like this. She prescribed me 18 different inhalers. Stop it. And I've never, Oh my God. I'm not joking. Yeah. And I called my friend up immediately who has like deadly asthma. And I said, Hey, have you ever been prescribed 18 different types of inhalers just to test? And he was like, I can barely even get my inhaler that I need with a prescription. He's like, no. And I just thought, this, I never took any of them, but I quit my job the next day. Yeah. I, I think, I think that was so clear. Your body's like, no, we're not doing this. We're done. Isn't it amazing what stress can do to your body though? Like it can literally, I mean, we, we've recorded a podcast on the healing pyramid where I say like the bottom of the pyramid is nutrition, right? Like, like when it comes to healing, but, but then the second tier is stress. Like if we are not incorporating sweat, uh, stress, like you're not going to heal. But, but I think this goes so much deeper than just stress because uh, like you were saying, Nicolette, this was your life calling that was literally pulling mm-hmm. you away from your job. And by mm-hmm. holding on to your job, you were, you were separating yourself from your life force, so mm-hmm. to speak. And, and yeah. I, I love that you shared this story and I hope that everyone listening to this really takes some time to think about that, that you had, you had the, the material comfort with that job, right? It paid you well, oh, you, you didn't have to worry about money or anything, but it wasn't enough. And how many people exactly. listening to this right now are in a similar situation where their lives are good enough. They've mm-hmm. got, they've got material safety, but they are spiritually suffocating totally because they have none of the purpose or, or connection or whatever it is that they're Mm -hmm. longing for. And they probably see a path. They probably know what it is that they're really longing for inside. And they're just waiting for the right moment or the right catalyst, right? Rock bottom Mm -hmm. maybe to get themselves to do it. So thank you so much for sharing that part of your story. I hope that it's really inspiring to people to not just think in terms of, oh, I need to change what I eat because it'll make me healthier, but I need to change the way I relate to my entire existence totally, so that I can be healthier and so that I can fulfill the mission that I'm here to fulfill. Totally. I love that. I love it. Okay. Yeah, no, I Go love ahead. that too. Yeah. And there's one thing I'll just add to that. And that is that like, as I heard you sort of repeating those words back to me, I also realized, I think part of the other reason was the fear of not going forward with what I truly kn- knew I needed to do. And I remember days being like, 
just create a website. But I was like, oh, I'm too scared to create a website. Mm -hmm. Or it was like, just print a business card. And I remember like agonizing over what I should put on the business card for weeks and weeks and weeks and not doing it. When, I mean, I really could have done that and probably had like a thousand clients immediately just from Mm -hmm. doing those two things. But it was also the fear of stepping into my calling was probably also just crushing my immune system and Mm -hmm. contributing to the stress which resulted in those symptoms showing up. Totally. Have you ever heard of the book called um, The Body Keeps the Score? Yes, I have. I haven't read it yet, but it's definitely on my list. So it's so funny. I talk about it all the time. I haven't read it yet either. (laughs) (laughs) I have. But Tristan has. And like from what I hear, and it totally goes along with like my belief system of the body and how we like really store emotions and energy and it's either good energy or bad energy, right? And so, yeah. um, so there's there's something so real about nutrition as medicine, emotional health mm-hmm. being like part of that massive foundation of healing and repairing, and and then doing what your life is like your life calling is, and we all have that, you know. And mm-hmm. I think part of that is, I mean, look at what what you've done. You know what I mean? You've created this massive empire. If you were to ever bring your restaurant to utah i promise you it would like you have someone who would want to run it for you well no 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 i don't want to run a restaurant i want to own a restaurant they're very different things it's true what what is the nearest um, restaurant you have to utah probably do you have one in california no, we New York is going to be the old, the first only one in green mustache in the United ah, States. Okay. Yeah, because right. yeah, so she's in, only in right, Canada, Canada right now. Canada. Yeah, she's so. in Canada right now. So yeah. I know. Yeah, darn it. <laughs> darn it. But I do have to share something with you, though. I was flying, I was giving a talk in Kansas at this amazing organization called the Who is Carter Foundation. And I was giving a talk on food as medicine for neurology and neurological health. Mm. And I was at the airport and I sat beside this older gentleman who turned out to be 72 years old Mm -hmm. and he was a trucker. So I was like, oh, this is, you know, tell me all about trucking. And so we talked for two and a half hours. And at the end, he said, so tell me about your restaurants. Like, what kind of food do you have? And I said, oh, it's all vegan, whole food, plant-based. Um, and he goes, oh, I'm vegan and I live in Utah. Uh-huh. And, hey. he said, yes. <laughs> and he said he joined this amazing vegan community in Utah and his wife did as well. And so now she, so I said, oh my gosh, I just, I love the story so much. So I sent them one of our Eat Real to Heal books in our packages. That's awesome. And so now she's been doing it and they're writing me back these great stories about their healing. And yeah, it's just a really lovely thing. And he said, Utah definitely needs a green mustache, he said. Oh my gosh, it does. It does so bad. But what are the chances you find yourself next to a vegan (laughs) trucker from from Utah? Utah. There (laughs) can't be a lot of those. That's awesome. That is so adorable. (laughs) You know, it's an amazing man. It's so funny because... um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if you feel this way too, but like people are, are so drawn to this way, this lifestyle of eating whole foods again, because um, like I said earlier, like what we're doing right now isn't sustainable and we don't like, we don't feel good. And I think Utah, especially like there is this massive um, divide of extreme junk food eaters and then extremely healthy people. Mm-hmm. And like people are starting to educate each other and be like, no, this is, I mean, I don't know if it's like this in Canada, but especially here in Utah, Hashimoto's is exploding everywhere. 
you know, mm-hmm. and, and people are like, what's going on? Like, well, we just haven't found the right medication. We haven't found, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, it's like, no, it's the environment. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and people are starting to wake up to their environment and they're like, wait a second, I can't just use and abuse my body the way I want. Like it's a reactive thing, you know, like it reacts to chemicals, it reacts to water, it reacts to hormone, you know, like we have to be very careful and respect it. Mm -hmm. And I think we are, we're waking up again when we're like, we have to respect our bodies. We have to respect our environment and we have to respect our food. And I know that sounds so weird, but I just want to share real fast when Tristan was diagnosed with cancer and um, we completely changed um, our lifestyle. Now um, he, he was vegan for a little bit, but in the beginning um, you know, I completely related to where my meat was coming from. Like I had to speak to the farmers. I had to understand the farming practices, you know, and, and it's, it's like, it's, something within you changes on multiple levels, you know? And it's like, this isn't just about food anymore. This is about community. This is about lifestyle. This is about the chain of events that happened, the ripple in the water that this food has created and continues to create in our lives. And a hundred percent, I think it's the one thing that's divided us and it's one thing that's going to bring us together. And, um, you know, you hit the nail in the head really when you said, you know, I have to know the farmer. And I think that is like probably one of the biggest movements that needs to take place mm-hmm. right now is that people get to know your farmer. Like mm-hmm. literally, it's not just the produce manager at the store anymore. Right. It's not just the person at the farmer's market who's selling on behalf of the farmer. It's right. literally the farmer themselves. Because when you look them in the eyes and you say, hey, are you spraying your food or how do you treat your animals or how are you treating the earth and the soil underneath your feet that you're growing the food that you're going to sell me? Like when they look you in the eyes and they tell you how they do it and they will, because they are so in love with what they do Mm -hmm. and they do that. I mean, that's how you know you're getting really the the best food possible. And then you in return can give that farmer the encouragement that they need because that's hard work. Growing food is hard work. It's not a lot of money in it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so you can give them that encouragement to keep doing it. They have to keep growing that food in the cleanest way possible and don't buy into the Monsanto buyers of the world. You know, Mm -hmm. keep them honest and true. And if they can see that you need that, they'll Mm -hmm. continue to do that for you. You know, and, and there's probably a lot of people listening right now. And they're like, well, I'm, I'm a, I'm a mom of five kids under eight. I don't have time to go out and meet a farmer. I want to mention that there are tons of farms online that you can read about their story and they can ship meat to you. Yeah. So you can support them through those means too. Even even local farmers, mm -hmm. oftentimes they'll have a Facebook presence and if you get in touch with them, Sometimes they do delivery or sometimes mm-hmm. it's just a, you know, a 20 minute drive to go pick it up. That's very doable. Yeah, exactly. So like there, there are options. There are multiple, yeah, there's tons of options. And so I know all this information yeah. can get really overwhelming. Um, but all I want to say is just little baby steps, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like little baby steps, yeah. you know, learn about a farm a week, you know, let's, let's, let's start there, you know, um, anything else you want? Oh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, you know, on this topic of helping people to shift their way they work with food and how they see the world and things, uh, Nicolette, you are starting a new kind of an initiative, I guess I, you'll have to help us understand better this program you're doing, but it sounds like you're, you're taking some of these ideas to the corporate world and helping employees to 
take this into their lives and become healthier. Is that, am I accurate on that? Yes, you are. And even more specific, it's not just about becoming healthier. It's really about reversing their chronic and mental health diseases. Mm. And so that they can really reclaim their health, reclaim their lives, be more productive at work, because who wouldn't want to have more energy at work? Who wouldn't want to wake in the morning and be like, I'm so full of ideas and energy that I'm going to go into work and I'm just going to like nail it. And I'm going to be like the best version of myself at work. But not only that, at the end of the day at work, they go home and then they say, you know what, I have the energy to literally be the best mom, the best dad, the best partner, Mm -hmm. the best lover, you know, and go back to their families with that same energy. And then even beyond that, they have the energy and the creativity and the desire to also be of service to their community. But right now people can't be that way because they could just barely get out of bed and get to work right Right. now. So Mm -hmm. by working with corporations, the reason I did this is because when I used to work with individuals, Individuals will come to me, they would learn about our program, which is all about returning to clean, real, full foods, plant-based foods, like that is what the Gerson therapy is. Mm -hmm. It's not any different than what Game Changers is teaching or what, you know, you're teaching or anybody else is teaching out there in the the whole food world. Um, But it's about clean eating, getting the toxins out, getting the nutrients in, Mm -hmm. simple. But what would happen is these individuals would go into their workplace and in the staff room, they'd have like... 30 sets of eyes over their shoulder being like, oh, you're eating like a rabbit. Or yes. why, are you, why are you not eating that? Just have the, the company cake that we ordered for so-and-so's birthday. Mm-hmm. And they found it really, really hard because they were constantly met by very uninformed, ignorant people. And it's not their mm-hmm. fault. They're raised in a society to think that, you know, donuts and coffee at 2 p.m. is the way you make it through the tired phase of the day. Mm-hmm. And so... So when they're like bringing in this healthy food, then people are thinking like they're hippies and they're criticizing them. And so now it's almost like double the amount of work for them. Mm-hmm. So instead, I pulled a page out of the Blue Zones book, literally, which was to let's build community around every one of my clients that is healing and reversing a disease. Mm-hmm. And the way to do that is to move into the corporate world and get the entire organization working together so that they can apply these changes. And that way, nobody looks like a freak of nature, even though literally they're returning back to nature's principles, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's so great. Well, and and like you said, it's better numbers. (laughs) Like it just makes sense. But it's- Oh, it makes sense from a business standpoint. It makes Mm -hmm. sense for the corporation. Like we are anticipating um, just through all of the research that we've done and the numbers we've crunched. Because I started off actually, when I first started doing, um, launching Richer Health, um, I forgot about this actually, is that I um, was invited to come speak for the municipality that I worked for. So I went in and did a 45 minute talk for about 55 employees. Mm -hmm. And over the next few months, these employees came back to me with emails or tracking me down in the parking lot and saying things like, Hey, I did everything you told us to do in that workshop. And I'm now off my hormone replacement pills. Oh, my so diabetes mm-hmm. numbers have completely come down and my doctor took me off my insulin. My One woman hadn't had a migraine since she started and that was six months um, previously. And so all these people were telling me their healing stories and I was blown away, like new in this world. And so I realized I'd actually started off doing that 
um, and then went on and said, well, from the results of that, why don't I teach 19 of my friends and family members how to do this? Mm -hmm. And then that's how I ended up going into the one-on-one work and now coming back full circle into corporate group work. That's cool. I've spent some time in the corporate world myself and, you know, for almost everywhere I was, corporate wellness programs were like, oh, you get 10% off your gym pass. Yeah. <laughs> and that was it. Yeah. So what you're doing is just worlds right. above that. And that is awesome. And so needed. I, oh I imagine the results are speaking for themselves. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, no, exactly. I, yeah. I love it's, it. Yeah, no, it's going to be good. And of course, at the end of the day, I mean, if there's any CEOs and HR managers or any key decision makers in a business and you're wondering like why would I provide this to my employees well we live in a day and age where number one millennials of all people they expect their companies to have some sort of health and wellness program Mm -hmm. running internally Mm -hmm. it's expected it's almost like that you know there's health benefits and then there's this not only that but we anticipate that the employee, that the companies will get about a four hundred and nineteen percent return on their investment for mm-hmm. every employee that they teach about eating real food to reverse their disease because mm-hmm. of the fact that their their staff will be more productive. They'll be taking less sick days for themselves, but mm-hmm. not only that, less sick days for their family members because we're going to be teaching their families how to do this as well so that everybody is on the same page. So we also don't have the dichotomy happening in the family where one person saying, well, let's crack open a box of frozen, you know, processed food. But meanwhile, the employee who goes home is saying, well, no, 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 let's eat this healthy way. So we teach them how to do it so that it can trickle into their family as well. I love it. And for people that are listening right now, like I I just want to, I hope the message has come across that healing happens. You know what I mean? Like you eat the right way, your body changes, it reacts. It, And I think a lot of people have a hard time trusting this process. I actually was just telling our members last week, we have, we have um, Getsy Health members and I was telling them, I'm like, you just change your lifestyle and trust the process because your body is the most intelligent thing on this planet. Mm-hmm. Like it knows what to do. It knows how to heal. It's so intelligent. It, it knows how to grow human beings without you even thinking about it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's <laughs> like, it's like feed it some vegetables and it will heal itself. You know, mm-hmm. it just take some deep breaths and it will fix yeah. itself. And we, we have, we've almost, I don't know what it's like in Canada, but there's almost this like hysteria of people get sick and, everyone's going to die. You know, it's like, no, no, no. Let the immune system, like eat good food, let the immune system figure it out. It will get more intelligent. So when you get sick again, you're sick for less. You know, it's like, this is how our bodies have been doing this for hundreds of thousands of years. Why in the last 10 to 20 years have we completely gone crazy and stopped trusting this process? We've completely stopped trusting it. And the only things we trust are medications and vaccines. Mm -hmm. And it's like everybody needs 10 medications and a hundred doctor's visits. And, you know, and, and I'm not saying I'm for or against vaccines. I'm saying if you want to do both, fantastic. But Mm -hmm. why do we have this belief system that the only way you can fight off disease is through a vaccine and we need a vaccine for everything when our bodies have been figuring this out for years you know? Oh, a hundred percent. And I feel the same way as well. It's that, I mean, the vaccine conversation is such a very delicate conversation. Yes. No, and we don't have to get to, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but there, there needs to be, and exactly what you said, like you just re- reminded me about even just having a 
fever, for example, mm-hmm. or having a cough or having, you know, and, you know, any one of the symptoms that presents itself with, I mean, the basic common cold for the most part. The thing is we want to take the cough medicine. We want to give our right. kids the Tylenol. We want to do all of that. When you can actually literally get through your entire life with that ever having to take, uh, you know, I don't know if you have NyQuil down there, but like mm-hmm. a night cold medication mm-hmm. or a day cold medication or Tylenol. And in fact, your body needs that fever, fever. to happen exactly, so that it can actually work to kill the virus or the bacteria. Like it's working totally. for you, not against you. Mm-hmm. And so we've been suppressing this and it's not allowed our bodies to become and to continue to be the innate, intelligent, self-healing mechanism mm-hmm. that it was designed to be. What now? We've put up roadblocks to the to our bodies being able to even understand what healing is exactly. anymore. Yep. So we're suppressing that all the time. And yes, there's always a time and a place for a medication, totally. for sure. Or an antibiotic, you know, or yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. But for the most part, and we see this now because the medical research is showing us that, oops, Right. Tylenol does more harm to the body than it does good. Oops. A lot of the vaccinations, like now it used to be kids were getting 11 vaccinations in their lifetime. Now it's up to like 33 and 38 Mm -hmm. vaccinations Mm -hmm. that they're getting simultaneously. And they're saying, oh, right, it's actually okay if the child works through some of these, you know, childhood illnesses because it's actually what keeps them robust in later life. And so the research is actually coming back to show that this hysteria around medication over the Mm -hmm. last, you know, 50 years, it was a, it really was a big in the medical community. Right. Yep. And the research behind over uh, prescribing antibiotics, we're not now like, yeah. whoops, uh, it, it turns out our gut biome is 80% our immune system and we've been destroying exactly. it. You know, like we're, we're putting out temporary fires and creating bonfires down the line, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. it's, it's so it's, yeah, the research is coming out and it's, and I keep trying to remind people like, what are we going to know in 20 years time? that we are going to be like, wow, that was so obvious. You know, like mm-hmm. what we know right now isn't everything. So we can't confidently say with 100% surety, this is the way, mm-hmm. like this is 100% right. This is 100% safe. And so, um, so I was actually going to do a post today towards women saying, trust your intuition and don't let people shame you out of researching things via the internet, you know, because this yeah. happens a lot to women where their doctors will, almost say like, sit down, don't hurt yourself because you're using Google right now, you know? And it's like, but Mm -hmm. doctors are okay to use Google's academic, academic people are okay to use Google, you know, like it's, why can't moms, why can't stay at home moms use Google to research their symptoms, to research their health, you know, concerns. And, um, and I guess what I'm trying to say is people trying to find answers is shouldn't be looked down on anymore. <laughs> you know, like it's, it's okay yeah. to question or not, not qu- like completely disregard what your doctor is saying, but it's okay to ask them hard questions. You know, you're yeah. allowed to do that. And I have a, I don't know if we have time for it now, but you can tell me, but I have uh, one of my daughters has an interesting health condition that nobody's been able to figure out what it is, but it's basically, if she does get an infection, it just rampantly takes over her body. And so fortunately we've lived this super healthy life. And, but an example of a doctor telling me that I should not Google, this has happened to me four times. And in all four situations, I went into the doctor and said, my daughter's sick. And this might sound 
interesting to listeners because I was going in actually asking for the medications mm-hmm. and the doctors didn't believe me that my daughter was sick. Yeah. And I said, no, I Googled the symptoms. I know she has meningitis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they turned around and said, well, she can't have meningitis. She's vaccinated. And I said, no. I know. And I said, but there's multiple strains of meningitis. You only vaccinated for one. There's actually multiple strains. And the doctors would, and then literally the doctors, and and I, in one situation, it was 17 different doctors, and they all pretty much said the same thing to me when I had these appointments to say, like, oh, you Google too much. One looked me in the face and said, you asked too many questions. Oh, Oh, my gosh. Mm -mm. Yeah. But, you know, when, when I had her in an ambulance, you know, on the way to the hospital, children's hospital, yeah. and we were quarantined for 10 days. That's oh when gosh. the doctor started getting all the phone calls from doctors actually apologizing. And one yeah. of the doctors had been pregnant at the time. And she said, never again will I ever distrust a mother's instinct. And I said, yes. exactly, you know, exactly. And so, you know, to this day, of course, you know, we're still wanting to find out, but fortunately we do keep her immune system rock solid. So it's only happened to us four times, but you know, she'd been born into another family like this who didn't question or didn't stand up and advocate for their child or didn't Google or didn't Mm -hmm. say, you know, like I had to put my foot down and say, I'm not leaving this hospital until I get an answer. Why is my daughter experiencing these symptoms? And then that was the only thing that can pull them out of the oh, there's nothing wrong with her, she's fine, to actually being like, wait a minute, she's not fine. And so it's just really important, I agree with you, like mothers who are out there listening, you absolutely 100% have every right to Google, to research and to question because doctors who are trained they're only trained in the knowledge that exists at this moment in time. Mm-hmm. And if you go back in history, like go back to the days when we were spraying DDT in people's homes right. and on the children. And, you know, and we now know DDT is a carcinogen and it, mm-hmm. you know, is a cause of cancer. Or go back to the time when doctors were prescribing thalidomide, which mm-hmm. was a drug that was a legal medication but for women with morning sickness and they ended up giving birth to babies who didn't have limbs and that was only 40 years ago yep right exactly exactly and so it's okay to question it and go with your gut and if you can't trust your gut I get that because it's hard because if we're you know you're probably thinking like well they've been trained for 10 years I haven't but Mm -hmm. at the end of the day you're a human who can really see right from wrong you can get curious you can pose a question you can do more research um you can go to another expert and get a second opinion Mm -hmm. like there's lots of different ways that you can get the answers that are going to serve you and your child don't be afraid to ask i'm so glad you shared that story because because here's someone getting their phd here's someone who has taught people how to heal themselves and you were getting gaslighted over and over and over. And it's someone who, you know, we're interviewing you and we're like, oh my gosh, this woman is so accomplished and so intelligent. And yet you were being treated this way. That means everyone can get treated this way. You know what I mean? And so, so to those moms and those women who are afraid to take up space to advocate for their children, like it's okay because you will get pushed back and that means you're doing something right. Mm-hmm. And that is the best way to say it because it's also medical doctors who are sick and trying to find answers to their own health issues like Dr. Terry Walls who reversed mm-hmm. her multiple sclerosis, mm-hmm. Dr. Sarai, who a medical doctor, an MD, who also reversed her 
uh, multiple sclerosis, using food as medicine, Dr. Mm -hmm. Brooks Goldner, she reversed her lupus, advanced lupus that nearly killed her. Mm -hmm. She reversed it using food as medicine. I mean, I can go on and on about medical doctors in this world that have been really, they're considered quacks because Mm -hmm. they question the conventional medical system at the time. And they say, well, no, there's another approach and it's diet, it's lifestyle. And then even they're called out. So they have to face the same criticisms. But at the end of the day, you focus on your end goal and your end goal ultimately is going to be health. So Mm -hmm. you focus on getting there like the end of a marathon that you are going to cross that finish line no matter what it's going to take. Even if you have to bowl some people over, even if you're going to have to get criticized by some people who think you're not going to be able to make it, even if you have naysayers throwing tomatoes at you, like as you're running down, you know, like whatever, (laughs) and hopefully they're organic, really delicious tomatoes. There you go. You know what I mean? You know, like you are going to cross that finish line and you are going to get the health, but you're not going to get there if you give up because there's some people who just have decided to not look at the research and not be your advocate or your support. Exactly. I think that is a beautiful way to end this podcast. Thank you so much. How can people find you? Where are all your platforms and your information and your book? Sure. So you can get to all of our businesses through my website, which is NicoletteRichet.com. Um, I'm sure you're going to have some show notes, but it's N-I-C-O-L-E-T-T-E, Richet, which is R-I-C-H-E-R.com. And then you can get our book, Eat Real to Heal, which has helped thousands of people around the world reverse their chronic diseases. You can get that on Amazon in, I think, almost every country in the world. Awesome. So cool. This was wonderful chatting with you, Nicolette. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time and your expertise and your stories and your experience. Thank you for helping change this world into better eaters because that's how we're going to save ourselves from ourselves. (laughs) And as always, a big thank you to all the listeners out there. You make this work for us. If you like this, share it with your friends. People need to know about this. If you know any corporate HR people who are looking for a good corporate wellness program, tell them about this episode. They'll want to hear about this and uh, leave us a review. Thank you so much, guys. Until next week. Bye-bye.